0: Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. My name is Robert. I'm here with my very good friend, Will. We are both Ministry Associates with Ministry to State. Um, breaking news has been coming across our phones as we just hit record on this podcast. About all of five minutes ago, as of we were recording, uh, the Biden campaign has, has tapped uh, Senator Kamala Harris for his VP ticket. Will, initial, initial hot take reaction.
1: Uh, I don't know if I wanna wade into a hot take reaction as much as uh, this is the the announcement that we have been waiting for. This is the uh, big question of what was he going to go for? Who was he going to look for? What does someone like Biden who really seems to be struggling with, uh, I mean, just things that are typically associated with old age, memory, um, clarity of thought, articulation, these things. So who is he going to choose to help balance out his ticket. And I, maybe it's even the question of which way is he going to try to uh, lean his ticket? He, I mean, early on tries to push himself forward as a moderate and then he tries saying that he's always been a progressive. Where is he exactly? And so who is he going to choose to try to win over who the Democrats think they need to choose to win over? And I mean, they chose Senator Kamala Harris who um, is anything but uncontroversial She has a lot of areas of people could be criticism. She has some things that I think the typical Democrat party would really like uh, just from the outside, at least when you look at her. I mean, um, she is a minority. She is a woman. She is a Senator. She's from California. Uh, Those are things that, that can really appreciate, but then there's going to be the question of, look, she was a cop. She has some incarceration questions that don't typically shine favorably on her. So
0: I remember when, back a few months ago, when the Biden campaign came out and said that they were planning on picking a woman of color, that was their, um, what they had promised. Because I remember uh, when it first happened, there were a bunch of people that were saying, oh, he's going to pick a moderate and he's going to go for somebody like Klobuchar, who's in the Midwest and can carry a a state that uh, Biden really needs. And but then she came out also and said no it, it should a- definitely go to um either an african american woman or an hispanic woman or or um other another minority woman and and i think as the second i heard that i think and and other people of course too came out and said oh it's going to be kamala harris and then when the uh, george floyd protests broke out across the country and you saw more and more calls for defunding the police i think the name Kamala Harris went down on people's lists just because of her record in California as a, um, attorney and, um, the kind of stricter measures that she imposed on things like drug cases and things like that. So I I think it, it was definitely an interesting pick. I think yesterday all the talk was Susan Rice, um, which felt much more sort of plausible at the time, but, uh, yeah, it turns out today, we're, we're it's going to be Kamala Harris. It's going to be really interesting. It's definitely going to shake up the election. Um, obviously, we've got two very, very old candidates on both the Republican and the Democratic side. Um, and so I know with, with Biden's age, people have been suggesting, oh, he might only be a one-term president. He might limit himself. And so his VP ticket is going to have to reflect that. Um, and so this is definitely a, I think maybe a, a, some sort of statement, at least by the Democratic Party apparatus saying, hey, we understand we're, we've got this candidate this year. He's he's definitely on the older side. He definitely represents you know maybe this portion of our party, but this is the future. This is what we're looking to. And I think was definitely sort of a signal um, to that wing of the party, which will be very interesting for sure. Um,
1: it's also going to get exciting because... I think the general opinion has been that Biden is not really in a place to be commander in chief, mm-hmm. to be the leader, to be calling the shots, that there are going to be a lot of people around him who are going to be uh, helping him make decisions and to be running things and actually making decisions, which is in some ways the opposite of Trump, because the big criticism about Trump is like, you're ruining this country because of the decisions that you're unilaterally making. And he has made plenty of done plenty of things that are, that are, not good or controversial, and right. Uh, you can debate the merits there, but now you actually have someone who is going to be adding some substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder to push back against someone like Kamala Harris and shape her, perhaps, than to shape someone like Biden to to uh, fold into what you want.
0: Definitely. So um, I don't know what the I don't know what the current status is on debates. I don't know if we'll get. Um, a presidential debate. I, I I've seen some sort of some different headlines in different mainstream publications have said like we shouldn't have a debate. There's been a lot of people.
1: How that, different are their temperaments, though? Pence and Kamala Harris. That's going to be that's so
0: that's what I was going to ask is like
1: because at least we were kind of similar.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely going to be interesting. I remember. Did you watch that bizarre debate between Paul Ryan and Joe Biden back in 2012? I think after that, the, the idea of a VP debate was a little, I think became a little sort of like, oh, we stepped over the line, we shouldn't do that again. But it might be, it might be with, with, with Senator Harris, it might be interesting to see if people want um, to see a VP debate because you know she kind of represents that side of the party.
1: Well, I mean, if they're very meaningful right now. People who can't vote for Trump because of his morality are willing to support a Trump Pence ticket because of Mike Pence and his virtue and his character. And people who like Biden, what's his deal? Like, okay, well, here's someone with substance Kamala. So there, there are there are real drivers in both of these VP candidates. That that kinda is exciting to see how things shake out and shape up.
0: Yeah. So that we'll definitely be tracking that and seeing what what goes on with that. I, I'm I'm hoping we'll get a debate because I'd like to do a, a post-debate episode and just sort of... Uh, uh, oh, baby. yeah, That would be a lot of fun. So, But we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we have more
1: politics to discuss. I was
0: about to say, that's not the only candidate, the only ticket that's worth mentioning um, because this week, uh, or I guess, yeah, it, it was this past week, the world really got the first view of the Kanye 2020 party platform.
1: Who knew? I mean, remember when he made that announcement at, was it the Grammys in 2016 when he said he was going to run in 2020?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been saying that he was going to run for a long time and everyone thought he was joking obviously or just being sort of stereotypical Kanye.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not joking, but stereotypical Kanye.
0: And and in a sense, like even when he announced, Hey, I'm running for president like this past year. And, you know, I, I remember a bunch of people were like, Hey, he just bought like, his website or you know they all the journalists were looking and they're like hey he's like registering to be on ballots like what's is this more serious than we thought and i think then it kind of fizzled out uh especially after i think it was a couple weeks ago the sort of uh uh i think it's it's pretty evident that he had some sort of um you know it's it, he's very open that he deals with mental illness and it, it seemed like he had had sort of an episode and i think he's admitted to as much and i know his wife. Uh, Kim Kardashian had had said as well, so it, it kind of fizzles out. And then now we get to see like a vision of like what uh, his platform is. And I, you know, obviously it's very clear that this is not just this is not Kanye writing his position. But what it's what it what I do think is happening is it reflects a certain group of people that are around him and are interested in what this new Kanye is since his conversion to Christianity. And that's what I think that this party platform is. I I don't think this is a, hey, this is a serious Kanye 2020 platform. I think this is, hey, these are people who are around Kanye West, since he's converted to Christianity, have been in his ear, have been in touch with other people in the political sphere, saying, what would our 10 positions be uh, if we were to, you know, if we were to sort of be on be- people's ballots, and then let's use Kanye's name, who agrees with a lot of this stuff, to sort of get get some um, notoriety. I think that's what's happening. I could be totally wrong. I'm totally speculating. But when I read the ten points, that's that's what I get a sense of.
1: Yeah. So walk me through this. You had texted me the the website. You texted me the link, and I looked through it, read through it pretty quickly, and then I said, "What do you think?" And you had some thoughts on it, and so yeah. Walk me through that again.
0: Well, I, I think it's it's good that for, for people who don't know, I think, because it's really quick. I just kind of want to read through the 10 points real quick. So the first one is to restore faith and revive our constitutional commitment to freedom of religion and the free exercise of one's faith demonstrated by restoring prayer in the classroom, including spiritual foundations. Pretty bold to lead off with that. Number two, restore the sound national economy, reduce household debt and student loan debt. Three, provide leadership to restructure our country's education system to serve the most at risk and vulnerable populations, allowing the widest possible range of educational and vocational paths to job opportunities and career success. Four, maintain a strong national defense, fully prepared, but not so quick to tie up our country's young men and women in foreign quagmires that do not advance our national interest and which last for decades. Five, reform the legal system to provide true justice, equitable for all citizens, regardless of race or ability to defend oneself in court. Recognize the disparity in verdicts and prison sentences caused by the lack of financial resources or legal assistance. Six, reform the approach to policing in a manner that treats all Americans the same, regardless of race, color, or ethnicity. Refocus police forces on real crime. Eliminate federal sentence guidelines that tie the hands of judges, resulting in ridiculous sentences for the most minor offenses. Number seven, Take care of the environment, diligently pursuing clean air and water as a national security priority and making renewables top priority. Eight, ensure that we always place Americans' best interests first and foremost in dealing with foreign affairs. We must project strength, not aggression. We want trust, but we must also verify. There's some Ronald Reagan for you right there. That's a
1: Ronald Reagan quote if there ever was one. Trust, but verify.
0: We want fair trade, not one-sided deals that hurt American workers. Nine, support faith-based groups to provide vital local services, giving communities a shared purpose in government. And ten, creativity in the arts can be an important source of innovation and development of other national strengths and resources. It should also be noted that he encompasses all of these things by calling it creating a culture of life, and he supports each one of these positions with, with scripture. We were texting about it. I, I sent it to you. I'm a huge Kanye West fan already, and so I'm I'm always following what Kanye's doing. But I texted you when I saw this because I, I I thought it was so fascinating. And based, you know, kind of drawing back on my earlier comments about it, I think that if you were to create a sort of Christian wish list of policies that Christians of all sort of backgrounds would want to see on a party platform. I think a lot of them are on this list. I see a lot of things that would not be crazy to see on something like an American solidarity party ticket, or, or maybe like a Christian Democrat ticket. We don't have those here, but in in other countries, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that.
1: Okay. So I got two questions here. The first is what are the top three that you think most attract? I mean, the hard part is it's Kanye and with the mental health and the kind of erratic behavior and the zero experience in anything like running a country. So putting that aside, the top three things that you think are of interest to Christians that, that when they read this think, Oh my goodness, yeah, let's let's do this. And then top three things that you find most intriguing and yeah. interesting to put in there. And I should also say, you know, you mentioned that the whole creating a culture of life, which what a beautiful concept. Right. Second is every single one of his ten points. There's a scripture underneath it. You can call cherry picking scripture, and you can call proof texting, whatever. The point is, uh, he he does seem to at least be trying to make some kind of a a biblical basis in his in his uh, platform, but those two things. So the top three thing for in general, the top three for you.
0: So I think it has to be said that I think there's going to be a lot of evangelicals more on the conservative side. They're going to go, he didn't talk about abortion. And I think what we have to consider also is just sort of, um, the subtext, the subtext okay. of this whole thing. And even Kanye's offline comments in some different, uh, it's situ- in, in some different contexts. He's been in lately. Kanye West is very much concerned with the rate of abortions, especially in minority communities. Mm. Um, he's been talking about it, he's been tweeting about it. Um, in fact, I would probably make the argument that it's Kanye West's comments, at least he's part of it, that have recently caused Margaret Sanger to be canceled in places like New York City. Because people we would never
1: talked about, but what a, that's a big win. I mean, it doesn't change the legacy, what actually happens, but that's something to be thankful for.
0: For sure. Like I, I think, I think Kanye has to be part of that conversation. He's, he's clearly part of that. So yes, I think conservative evangelicals might be disappointed. Like, Hey, he didn't have an 11th point specifically about abortion, but I think the subtext is this party, if this were to be a party or if this were to be a ticket, would be extremely pro-life, and that's evident by the idea that they, they want to create a culture of life, and surely that culture includes how can we minimize the amount of abortions in this country? That's that's obviously part of this text. Um, that being said, I think that a couple things that would be really that a bunch of evangelical Christians are gonna are gonna hop on. I think first and foremost, regardless of sort of what political spectrum you find yourself on within the church, number nine support faith-based groups to provide vital local services, giving communities a shared purpose in government. I mean. I think that there's a pretty universal concern right now about uh, the direction that the that the that the state is taking against faith based organizations, especially those that hold to um, orthodox teachings on things like sexual identity um, gender identity um, and and the threat of being cut out of the public square. I think that we would be naive or we would be foolish to as a nation to cut those organizations out because of those things just because when we consider the vital services that these institutions provide for our communities we should never forget you know we're in the middle of a pandemic there are many many hospitals in this country that are faith based hospitals that are providing services for people regardless of their sexual identity and gender gender identity and so the idea of cutting in the threat of cutting those things out of our public square I think is a real concern for people of faith. And I think seeing um, that in this ticket is, is, is very encouraging. Another thing that a bunch of people are going to hop on immediately is the first one and, you know, restore faith and revive our constitutional commitment to the freedom of religion and the free exercise of one's faith. I think that's pretty boilerplate, but it's, it's the second part of that phrase demonstrated by restoring prayer in the classroom, including spiritual foundations. I mean, That's been sort of like a, I I don't like the term, but a right wing talking point, right? Is prayer in school for the last couple of years. I mean, what did did you think about that?
1: Well, my my question is, is there something different in Kanye saying it? Because if Donald Trump had said it, I would have been like, come on, man. I don't think you actually care about this or believe this. You seem to be playing to to a base here. Kanye says it and everything we've mentioned before, taking that in. I'm not going to question the sincerity of his faith at all. It does seem that they're, I'm going to take him at his word there. And there seems to be more credibility for me in him saying it.
0: I agree. I, I, I don't know what that policy actually looks like written out and on paper. Is this, you know, the concern always is this a compelled school prayer, you know, is this a, everyone is required to stand up and say the Lord's Prayer just like they are in the Pledge of Allegiance? Are we getting space for people who are not Christian? It, you know, there's, there's all those concerns. I don't think that that's really what this point is trying to address. And I, and I have a theory about it. And it actually goes back to Kanye's Jesus is King album, his first gospel album that came out uh, in 2019. Just the name of the album itself, Jesus is King, is a political statement, right? So what Kanye was going through in, in that whole fr- in that whole time period was obviously a spiritual conversion. There's no doubt about it. but part of that spiritual conversion as, you, as it was played out was also you could see that Kanye was working out the political implications of this new faith. Um, and I think by the album, and, and I wrote a whole review of the album that was published in the Washington Examiner back in, in November. And one of the things that I was making, one of the arguments I was making in that piece was that if you look at the lyrics and the different songs, um, Kanye is articulating not a Christian defense of liberalism or conservatism. He's making a, here is what Christian politics is. And it begins first and foremost with this central point. Jesus is king. All political authority belongs to him. Knowing all that I know that about that album and then seeing this, point. I, I think what he's, what he's ultimately trying to say is, look, all of our reality exists because of the authority of God over creation, right? And so prayer in school is just another way of saying we acknowledge that reality in everything we do. And that, that begins with educating and raising up children in this culture. You know, we've been talking about this on the side. This is a very Republican, small R, Republican view of the state and culture and religion. Does that make sense?
1: Well, I think the more I look at point one, <clears throat> I don't know how I feel about the like, quote unquote restoring prayer in the classroom. It seems very hard to do. I, I totally believe that Democratic Republic is dependent upon a moral character being developed in citizenry Mm -hmm. that that is that has been believed by everybody throughout history until us sophisticated moderns where we don't think we need that anymore and it's not going so well for us but there is a there is a, a balance and a difficulty in discussing prayer in the classroom and what is the proper enforcement of that in any way uh and then I think he mentions including spiritual foundations. Yeah, I don't understand what that means at all.
0: I, I think that's—I think we should take that as like catechizing. I mean, that's—that's that's what I see. Um,
1: and, and I don't—I again, uh, this is Charles Taylor, chapter one of, uh, in some ways, creating a secular government. Not that governments ignore the existence of religion, but in not being based upon one particular religion
0: if i'm right about the my my uh assumption about you know the people that are surrounding kanye and writing this this platform you know they're coming from a position of sort of the common good conservatism that is uh, erupting on the right side of the aisle right now you know the, the 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 conversations that are happening in first things the things that are happening in ross douthat's column right like they're, they're in that world. I, you know, obviously there's going, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh from people that aren't really in that sort of sphere about, hey, what about freedom of religion? What about minority religions? Which, let's be real, Christianity is quickly becoming one of those in America. And so I think we have to, you know, that's, that's a whole separate debate. I think By just including it in this point, I think it's a very sort of, it's a signal, right? It's not necessarily, this is what's going to happen under a Kanye presidency. It's more so signaling to people, there is an alternative to culture war, GOP, and progressive secularism on the left.
1: Yeah, let's boo God at at our convention on the other side.
0: Right. So that's what I see when I see that. And, And to me, I mean, I mean, obviously, I think that there's a lot to that a lot of people are going to talk about when it comes to police reform and criminal justice reform. I think those are those are big issues. Um, you know, those are things that a lot of people are coming together on. I mean, the, the one of the biggest accomplishments of of Congress in the past couple of years is a bipartisan criminal justice bill. I think those are important. I'm not really touching on them in this conversation because I think Kanye's not really this this platform is not really beating the ball in that in that conversation what I do think is the most interesting is the statement on foreign affairs uh, the one that we that includes the Reagan the Reagan um, quote the ensure that we are that we always place Americans best interest first and foremost in dealing with foreign affairs it's related to um, the point number four maintain a strong national defense fully prepared uh, but not so quick to tie up our country's young men and women in foreign quagmires I think that this is a this is increasingly becoming a position that I think we're going to see a lot more bipartisan support on. I think in the you know, now we're we're distanced enough to have a little bit more clear-eyed criticism of America's dealings post 9 uh, nine eleven in the Middle East, and I think that um, you know you, are, you you already have candidates coming out when they were running for president. One of their big things was I didn't vote for the Iraq War. Um, I think you're now getting a new crop of Republicans that because they weren't in office or are actually spot in those wars are now much more critical of a, a, you know, team America world police foreign affairs position. And so I think you're going to, you're going to start seeing a lot more bipartisanship on that issue. And I do think that by including it in this platform, um, that is sort of a, Hey, we're going to be real clear eyed about what America's role is in the world. And I think that's increasingly going to be important as, our relationship to China, th- that dynamic changes.
1: Well, I mean, it's going to be I mean, interesting to see where it comes up. I mean, he's not even on every ballot right now. And,
0: and you know, we're not pastors, so we don't, we're not bound to, by any uh, rules about, tell you who you can and can't vote for. That being said, I'm not going to say go out and vote for Kanye. But I do think it, it provides an interesting prospect for people out there who kind of feel stuck in between a rock and a hard place in the 2020 election
1: broadcast um, vote
0: yeah i i you know the the reality is that peop, different people's vote matters differently in in this country like a vote in texas is not the same as a vote in wisconsin i mean that's just that's just clear based on our system and and no matter what the right to vote has been fought for and and defended and a lot of blood has been spilled over the history of the united States. so voting it should not be something that you do trivially or something that you take for granted. That being said, I think we are, uh, especially people in our generation, do feel like the parties are representing them less and less, evident by both major party candidates being in their 70s. You know, if you're interested in, in what a different ticket might look like, a more bipartisan ticket, a ticket that focuses more on the common good and sort of radical individualism, which I think a lot of Christians in evangelical and reformed circles do care about. Um, I think that this ticket at least presents an opportunity to have conversations with, with people about, Hey, what would this ticket look like? You know, you don't have, you can, we can joke about Kanye. We can laugh that it's, it's Kanye West, the same guy that stole the mic from Taylor Swift and have done, has done all this crazy stuff in the course of his career. Well, Um, we
1: got a WWE Ed McMahon fan in the office right now. So.
0: That's true. So, so take all that with a grain of salt, but. Um, I think at least looking at these 10 points and saying, hey, as a Christian, what do I believe about politics? What do I I believe about my relationship with the state? Reading through them, I think, is worth it and really questioning yourself on, you know, what am I voting for when I vote for either the Democrats or the Republicans? Is it really in line with what I believe about the state? And maybe, maybe it's not something we do in 2020, maybe it's not something we do in 2024, but the The reality is that this is something that's on the horizon and so we should be, we should be taking account of it. So that's my, that's my Kanye West 2020 pitch. All right. Well, we were going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hey y'all, it's Robert from the Will and Rob show. Thank you so much for tuning in each week to hear our conversations about faith and culture. This show could not happen without you or without ministry to state. If you like what you hear, make sure to check out the rest of Ministry to State's content, like our weekly devotionals and regular Bible studies. Just visit www.ministrytostate.org and click Get Connected. Okay, back to the show. All right, we're back. You're listening to The Will and Rob Show. So three days ago uh, was the 75th anniversary of dropping the atomic bombs. At the end of World War II. Uh, it's actually caused a lot of people, uh, Will yourself included, to return to read some World War II history. Um, you've been reading not about the uh the dropping of the atomic bombs, but of another incident that maybe not a lot of people are super familiar with. You had some interesting points about how it relates to today's culture. So, first off, what was the what was the event that, that happened?
1: Well, so, I'll say, um, in order to keep my sanity and get out of my basement apartment, Audible <laughs> has been a lifesaver. And so, I have been powering through some great Audibles. Uh, maybe maybe from,
0: they'll sponsor the show if you're not nice about them.
1: That seems reasonable. That doesn't seem like absurd. The, I started with Eric Larson's book, uh, The Splendid and the Vile, which is about the, the German bombing uh, in 1940 of England, and then went on and listened to some other things. I, I did actually listen to Chris Wallace's book, Countdown 1945, that is actually about the dropping of, of the Enola Gaze flight onto Hiroshima and dropped the nuclear bomb. Great story. Um, it is very thought provoking. It was interesting getting into a little bit of the backstory of the, the different World War II generals, Eisenhower, MacArthur, Marshall, and their thoughts about it. And that, Eisenhower, for example, didn't like the idea of dropping a nuclear bomb. Uh, MacArthur didn't seem to be a big fan either. Part of it was because it may have taken some glory from him and the MacArthur type of figure that he is. So I started there and then I went on with some more World War II history. uh, And I listened to, I just listened to a book by a guy named James Scott called Target Tokyo. And it's about the Jimmy Doolittle raid on Tokyo after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So Pearl Harbor happens and, uh, the American military gets together an incredibly elite soldier named James Doolittle, who maybe is lesser known. My dad told me about him growing up. And so he's always kind of been in the back of my mind. I've always known about this guy and he's just an incredible American figure. Great story. You know, he told his wife he was going to marry her when they were in high school and it's her parents said no and then eventually ended up marrying her. So he's one of the, and just a speed racer, set all these kinds of records, did all these amazing things. So he gets tapped for this mission, puts together this crew of B 25 bombers that flies to avenge what happened on Pearl Harbor. And interestingly enough, they flew off the USS Hornet and they had to take off a lot earlier than they were planning. This mission was planned to perfection and um, the plan was to fly. At, to bomb tokyo and then to land in china and they had like um, you had roosevelt had met with had been messaging Chiang kai shek to say hey we we need to land in china we're not we don't have enough fuel to fly all the way back so we're just going to get our carriers out of the way to land in china well because they had to take off too too early because they were spotted there were some complicating circumstances these planes after they bombed tokyo ran out of fuel um and several of them crashed and Japanese occupied China and were taken to Japanese prisons and they were tortured, and several of the men died either by a kangaroo court that had them executed or from torture um, really tragic there 's so much the story this book is is incredible. I really enjoyed it a lot um, pretty sympathetic also to the fallout that happened on the Chinese people because of this raid um, that the Japanese attacked these Chinese citizens that had a very sad. But one thing that I thought was really interesting was that this author reads several of the letters that were written by these airmen for their families, whether it was for their parents or for their fiancés. Very powerful letters. And there were two things about these letters that really stuck out to me that I thought were very interesting and very powerful. Um, The first was that every letter was written for the sake of their loved one. Um, every letter was written to comfort their mom, as in dear mom, if you're reading this letter, know that I have died in battle, know that I died an honorable death and I'm writing this to you so that you will be comforted. I died doing something that I love defending this country. I want for you and dad to live well, to continue taking advantage of this wonderful country we live in. If it was to their fiance, it was something like, I want for you to continue, um, to live your life and to get married marry a good man have a family uh, the second was that every letter that he read these soldiers believed in an afterlife these airmen believed that there was something after death whether it was a christian idea of heaven or some kind of paradise idea and i thought those two things were interesting largely because when, when i think about letters that are written today and i don't know what kind of letters are written from soldiers today but i think generally a lot of times these coming out stories like what's the one thing I want to know about my parents to know about me or my fiance is like, here's the real me, you know, here's what society hasn't let me express about myself. Here's, here's who I really am. It, and it's, it's more self-focused. It seems a lot of times when we talk about quote unquote, some kind of revealing some kind of revelation, some unveiling of what actually is going on. doesn't seem as others oriented. Uh, and the second is the real lack of, belief in an afterlife. And I think in addition to a lack of belief in an afterlife is the the co-belief perhaps that this world is as good as it gets. We may not admit that totally, but in general, in our modern world with technology, with everything from Amazon delivery to advanced and modern medicine that we're going to live longer to Netflix, there's this belief that like in some ways life is as good as it gets, like things can't get much better. All my pleasures can be satisfied pretty quickly. So I think, you know, you have a decline in belief in afterlife as well as the belief that this is as good as it gets. It made me wonder, like in society, what kind of letters are being written right now? I don't know what soldiers are writing, but what kind of letters people would write if they could write one last letter to their family. And, um, the belief that at least there used to be this idea that there are fates worse than death, uh, that shame, dishonor, um, cowardice. You know, you have men who chose to go on this Doolittle raid. Why? Because they're like, I don't want my daddy. I don't want my kids to grow up with a daddy who's a coward. So I'm going to do this. Do we believe anymore that there are fates worse than death? And I don't, I don't know. I think for a lot of people in the late modern world, death is the worst thing in the world. It is the end. We excuse certain behaviors. Why? Because, Death is the end, as you say. Uh, so I, those are some interesting things that I don't really know um, how those play out exactly. But those twin questions of self-focus and the end of life—how those how those go together for what yeah. we view worth sacrificing for—I
0: think if you were to ask most people today in our generation, it's sort of passe to to leave a, a note or a legacy that that suggests that you were proud of. The country or the the stands that you fought for, uh, if they were more uh, patriotic or not critical of, of of the country in a certain way, I guess that's that's one thing. I, I mean, like you, I don't see a lot of letters that are written from soldiers on on the front lines today. But you know, I, and I so I have no idea. I do know that there is a certain trend that goes on. I mean, I'm not on Instagram, uh, but I know people who are, uh, and you know, it, and I watch the the Good Morning America, which always has sort of pop culture stories. And, and once every couple of weeks, you get one of these stories on Good Morning America where some celebrity writes an Instagram story post, which is really a letter that's like in their notes that they typed and then published. Um, and it's always kind of what you were talking about. It's always the I need to know, have people know who the true me is. Um, and it's, it's always, a, it's, it's not about, you know, any sort of commitment to any higher principles sort of beyond self-identity and, and self-actualization, um, which, is, which is really interesting. I th- definitely think a, a modern trend, kind of going back to the World War II theme uh, and, you know, the idea of, of, a, of a fate worse than death. I remembered the scene uh, in Band of Brothers, uh, that HBO series. Uh, where I think it's around it's like the later end of the the series Um, and it's so they've they've survived you know the 101st and this this group of soldiers have survived everything up until this point right they've gone they've done the drop in France they've gotten through the forest um, in uh, that was I think Belgium right I don't I don't remember
1: the Battle of the Bulge are you talking about I
0: I can't, I don't know if that's exactly, was that, was that what the battle was in the, in the show? I can't remember. I just know that they were in a forest and it was being bombed constantly. Yeah, Battle of the Bulge. And then they're, they're finally sort of uh, in this German town before they take Berlin. And it's right at the same time, they get all these new recruits uh, in the guys that have just gotten through officer leadership school. And now they're, they're joining the soldiers after all of this that's happened. And they're all eager. They want to prove themselves. They want, you know, they want to be career guys. Um, and so they're kind of looking for missions to do. And you've got all these soldiers who have fought through this whole time and have survived and are kind of, you know, Hey, don't go out volunteering for stuff that, you know, could put us in jeopardy because we've gotten this far and we don't need to, but in in one of the episodes, the the guy goes, yeah, we're going to do this mission. Um, after one of the young guys gets them gets the gets them convinced to do it, and he goes, "Okay, I need volunteers." And even all all the soldiers who have been complaining have been swearing out this this, they all immediately volunteer because there was it was it would be worse to not volunteer. It, there, was, there was there was such a difference in in that mindset, and then compare that to modern war movies like uh, in movies like um, Apocalypse Now, right where. They would much rather stay back in the, in the trenches and then do drugs than get sent out on a mission right it's just a much different perspective
1: yeah so much of this is informed by what we've talked about in the past with the idea of the self with Charles Taylor with people like David Wells um, James K Smith Daniel Walker howe all this these concepts of this the way the self is being changed and understood from self-making to self-actualization, which I think are two very different ways that we conceive of things. But I'm also listening to a book right now by a guy named Alex Kershaw called The First Wave, which is about D-Day. And it's about the Canadians, the English, the Americans, the French actually who decided, who escaped and they're going back to fight. And what's so amazing is knowing what we know about D-Day now and how much carnage there was, the men who were begging to be in the first wave to go in. And look, we're two guys that have never served in the military. So there's a, a reverence, I think, for these people and this deep appreciation, but you know, it's not, I've never done that. I don't know what that would be like other than I'm just amazed at that, that level of courage of that. They would rather be there than stay behind. And I don't know if it's so simple as like a rah-rah meathead. Yeah. Mentality.
0: We should always be mindful and make sure that we're not romanticizing. But at the same time, I think it is safe to say, I mean, I feel comfortable saying it, that I miss the, the notion that you could be a hero because you did your duty at whatever small that was, right? Like the men who, who died on, on the Jimmy Doolittle raid are relatively unknown people, they weren't-
1: Who were also begging to go on the mission.
0: Right, they were just sort of, they were just sort of normal guys. And they're heroes and we all recognize that they're heroes, but they're heroes because they recognize their duty and they did it. Um, and I, I think I brought this up on an old podcast, but it's like, we sort of lost that idea of heroism. We sort of more embraced like you've got to be something absolutely spectacular. You've got to have your 15 minutes of fame. Look at the younger generation that now when you pull them on what, you know, what they want to be um, when they grow up, I mean, the old answers were astronaut, uh, scientist, doctor, soldier, police officer. The number one thing now is YouTube star. I mean, there's there's this sort of difference in in what we've defined as heroism. And this is especially concerning and true for Christians because we sort of adopted that perspective in some ways and we sort of lost the, the Pilgrim's Progress idea of heroism, which is the, the steady sanctifying road to, to heaven by just being a, a guy who who loves God and obeys him and that's that being enough and sufficient for true heroism.
1: The author of Target Tokyo it's interesting you say that. The author of Target Tokyo quotes one of the soldiers uh, airmen I keep getting them confused. A marine buddy of mine clarifies it's soldier <laughs> airman marine. Please have mercy on us. Uh Sailor. Yeah, you it is a you, do not make that mistake will. Um <laughs> but the author quotes one of the moms who lost her son and she describes him as just an average American, but it was a, it was a note of honor. And I was like, gosh, to call your kid an average American is like the worst thing you can call them now.
0: People would be astonished that a parent would call their, their son or daughter average.
1: There's probably a good idea to go into a deeper dive there to figure out if the way the word average is used is used differently now, depending on how exactly we're trying to use it. But, um, you had mentioned earlier, I have to say this just because uh, it, it's been, I've been thinking about 75th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. I was telling my dad that I was listening to Chris Wallace's book and he said, you know, your great uncle was on uh, Tinian, which is where the Enola Gay took off to for the mission. I said, gosh, I think I remember that. I totally forgot. And he's like, yeah. So my great uncle, my dad's uncle, um, Uncle Jim, tells a story that he remembers watching the Enola Gay get loaded. They had to dig like a ditch underneath so they could fit it in and put it in the, in the car, in the, in the bomber for the mission. And after the mission, he says, uh, my great uncle who's passed away now, he said that he remembers a guy who was drunk walking around the Island saying atomic bomb, atomic bomb, just repeating that phrase to himself over and over again. And this thought of what must it be like to have this idea that you can drop an absolutely terrifying weapon um, and destroy I mean, it's, it's horrific what happened when that, when that weapon was dropped, but how much that changed, there's a, like we mentioned, there's a reason Oppenheimer said, I am become death, destroyer of worlds. There's a reason that he said that because he realized the power that had been unleashed. There's Einstein who's quoted for his regret at knowing what had happened with, what he, and maybe one day we should talk about the dropping of these nuclear bombs, but yeah, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to compare, and uh, and I think mostly thinking about Target Tokyo, it's a lot of it's a self-diagnosis of, will are you in a place where you would write a last letter out of love for those dear to you, or as a way to self-reveal? You know, I don't know. I, I need to think about that. I need to, you know, check my character. But I hope that it would be, out of love and care for them because of trust in who Jesus is and his my being secure in in yeah. Him. But I think it's it's part of the mission of the church also. The good news of the church is to, in some ways, to say, you know, w- there's freedom in Christ to be others-oriented, to right. believe that there are things worse than death, yeah. um, that there are things worth dying for. Again, one more
0: time, what was the book?
1: Target, Tokyo. It's about 20 hours on Audible, but you can do it at like a 1.7 speed.
0: Okay, good, yeah. good. I always like that when when you can when you can do a little speed up. That's awesome.
1: You look a little happier because they talk a little faster. So that's <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, we're gonna take another short break, and we will be right back after this. Fan of the Will and Rob Show? Make sure to check out Ministry to States' other podcast, Faithful Presence. Join host Reverend Michael Langer as he explores the paradox and importance of Christians living as the elect and as exiles in our world, as well as practical and theological discussions of faith in the workplace, the political arena, and the local culture. Just search for Faithful Presence wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to click subscribe. Now, back to The Will and Rob Show. All
1: right, we're back for the tail end portion of our show. I've enjoyed talking about Kanye about world war II, and our culture of the self, which uh, I seem to be obsessed with the self this summer, which is enough S's the summer of will summer of self. Uh, So, but we, uh, we wanted to end with a short little discussion on a a Twitter thread that kind of blew up, got really big yesterday that people had commented on. And uh, the tweet was, simply why are you still a Christian
0: was it in five words or less is that what they was it one of those two
1: exactly in five words or less why are you still a Christian the tweeter responded me hungering and thirsting for justice that was her reason for still being a Christian and then a bunch of other people chimed in some people said Jesus Um, people had different causes that they were still a Christian for those reasons I found that question itself kind of troubling, though. And that's kind of what, what I want to talk about. And this could be perhaps, you know, our training and catechisms that, you know, why am I still a Christian? Well, the pea and tulip, the perseverance of the saints, um, because he will hold me fast, because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Those are reasons that I'm still a Christian. But I think what was troubling was actually the word still in that, which assumed that there was something that had just come out or some experience in life or some reason not to be a Christian, but you were. Holding on for some kind of preference. And I think even her saying that she still wanted to be a Christian because of her hunger and thirsting for justice, I don't, nothing wrong with hungering and thirsting for justice. That is a good thing. But for that being the reason for being a Christian, um, seems to miss the theological richness of God being the one who sustains us and holds us. And makes you wonder, you know, what about the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, mm-hmm. for you will be satisfied. Where does that play into? to this reasoning. And I, I, you had some thoughts also. Yeah. I mean, the premise of
0: the question that by saying, why are you still a Christian? Right. The premise suggests that, well, reasonable people would have left the church by now. Like considering everything that we know that's happened, uh, what we see playing out today, reasonable people would have left. So we need to know the answer for you. Why are you still a Christian? Um, and I, I sort of reject that premise um, because it, it suggests something about the church that I don't think were ever promised in scripture, which is that like the church can't err ever. And I, I just don't, I just don't think that that's uh, the way of, of viewing the church. I mean, like the entirety almost of Paul's letters to the new Testament church are addressing concerns that he has because these churches are doing things wrong. (laughs) Like they're not respecting their unity as uh, both Jews and Greeks. They're not uh, welcoming in the poor and they're, they're making distinctions on class. Uh, They're continuing in sin, even though they've been saved and Paul is. So the, the idea that the church can't err. And so when, when we now we obviously see the church erring. We need to have an explanation for why we're still part of it. I I sort of reject that premise.
1: Right. And for me, I'm thinking again from a a theological response here, that with whatever this still implies, whether it's some purported betrayal of evangelicalism by aligning themselves with one race or another, whatever they're saying that's the worst, whether it's trials in life, the problem of evil, um, disappointment, Life is full of that. But the only reason that anyone can say they are still a Christian with the implied trials, difficulties, disappointments, is because of the faithfulness of God in their lives. I am not strong enough, consistent enough, faithful enough, wise enough to continue following Jesus. Do I believe reasonably that it is the best system of thought to explain the world and how world thrives best do I think there's evidence for the resurrection do I think that the biblical narrative provides the most meaning and ethics for living in this world absolutely yes but that is not why I am still a Christian I am still a Christian because God is faithful to his people I love you because I love you as he says in deuteronomy to them that's that's the reason that's the goal and anything else um, shifts it a little too self focused a little bit to here's my pet project here's my pet love um and i think when we realize that we are still quote-unquote christians or quote-unquote still (laughs) christians uh is because of his love for us it frees us then to pursue these things and to be content when they succeed and say praise god when they fail to say lord have mercy like there's room for that now when we have our loves rightly ordered our passions rightly in place for sure it's a wild place that twitter sphere i know
0: it, we, i keep telling works. myself we got to get off it but I, I keep getting sucked in so
1: it is a love hate i mean
0: yeah what was your you uh, tweeted something about that the other day yeah
1: well there's a great line at the beginning of the brothers karamazov where dostoevsky talks about um fyodor uh karamazov the the father and they the point is he's like, it's possible for there to be two contradictory things true at the same time, um, two experiences. And it's like, you know, Twitter's this Fyodor Karamazov running around wild.
0: Oh, true. Um, well, this was a fun episode. It was great, uh, to, uh, make my pitch for Kanye 2020.
1: Um, I expect to see you on the stage at some point or
0: I hope so. I mean, if Kanye listens to this, let him uh, make sure he knows that I'm always open to be, uh, for VP, uh, conversations
1: or at least put out yard signs.
0: Yeah, I'm open for that. Uh, did you see the hats that came out? They look pretty cool. I kind of want one.
1: I'll take a look,
0: but thank you so much, uh, for listening to the will and Rob show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. You can follow Will at Stockdale. Will make sure to check out ministry with that, we'll see you guys next week.